Again, Revelation chapter 13. Go ahead and turn there if you can. So while you're turning there, no matter what side of the political aisle you may find yourself, whether you're on the right, left, or in the middle, I'm sure you cannot figure out how in the world that other person got into power. How did he get there? How did she get there? What in the world are these people thinking voting for these people? Whether they be local, regional, national. Now, I refuse to name names because what I don't want to do is start a fight. Because no matter what I said, I'm going to alienate a person or a portion of those who are here today. Whether you be right, left, center, you would be so irritated you wouldn't be able to listen to me. Well, second, I don't want to irritate you. Secondly, each side has politicians that we, you, whoever, are not, are not proud of. We might hold our nose. While that person is in power. And third, my third uh, reason why I'm not going to talk too much more about this. It's an argument that helps nobody. It helps no one. Why I bring this topic up? There will be a time in the near future or there, there will be two ruling beasts rising. Two ruling beasts rising. And both of these, both world leaders called beasts because of their character. Because of what they represent. Their motives, their actions. The first beast will be a political ruler, a vicious, a vicious tyrant who will come to power, again, not over a region, not over a country, not even over a continent, but the entire world. That is something that has never happened before. Never. And with the help of the second beast, who is a suave, slick, Religious leader, the first beast will be worshipped as God. Make no mistake, he will be worshipped by the world as God. The mixture of politics and religion, where we wouldn't dare sit down at a dinner table at a Thanksgiving feast. But yet it's the formula that they use to control the world that Satan uses to control the world. And since both men are controlled by Satan, he is the one who is ultimately being worshipped. We know that from the scriptures. If someone worships an idol, demons behind it, that's what's being worshipped. So Satan is being worshipped. This is about a coming leader, no, a dictator, a beast, 
with his government and his henchmen controlling the religious part of said government, reigning over the entire globe, ultimately doing Satan's bidding. Again, a fun passage to be in the whole week. In our last time together in Revelation 12, we were introduced to the first five players on the cosmic stage at the end of days. The writer of Revelation, who is John, the last living apostle who walked with Jesus, he first saw a woman which represented the nation of Israel. The second person that he saw was a dragon which represented Satan. Third, he saw a male child which represented the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourth, he saw the archangel Michael representing the holy angels who battled the demons. And fifth, believing Israel, the remnant of the woman's seed. And then John wrote in verse 17, he said, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he, the dragon, Satan, stood on the sand of the sea. More or less what this means. He stood there and he looked at who he could attack. seeking to destroy who he can while he still has time. Well, today we'll look at the sixth and the seventh characters, two beasts who Satan used instrumentally to wage war against the woman's offspring. And together, the three form what many call the unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Again, Satan is a big mimic. He's a copycat. Everything that he does is a copy of what he sees God doing. Well, first we begin with the beast rising from the sea. And before, I, before we move forward, I need to again remind you of what John is writing or how he's writing this. He's seeing signs and symbols. And he's writing, he pictures, he writes these things in symbols, word pictures. And they're there to emphasize, emphasize, there we go, a point, to move a person to action. You see these g- giant beasts or giant dragons, and you go, wow, that's a picture. Okay, it, it sticks in your mind. It helps with the memory. They're very effective ways to illustrate. And finally, they're very useful in making the unfamiliar familiar. Everybody knows what a dragon is, right? Everybody who's been a kid on up, we know what a dragon is. But do we know what a beast is? Keeping this in mind, John tells us in chapter 13, verse 1, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. And when we picture a beast, what do we think? A beast is a terrifying animal or a terrifying, untamed, vicious, wild thing. And this is its character. This is its character. And in the scriptures, beasts also often represent governments. And most of the time, a beast is an evil government. And this one's rising out from the sea. And a picture of the sea, for those of you, I I heard two people talking about getting a house today in Cambria. Or maybe it was Cayucas. That's what I think of Cayucas. It's Cayucas. (laughs) 
Sorry, filter didn't work. But those people love to see the sea. They love the ocean. My wife loves the ocean. She loves the beach. I hate the beach. And has sand in it. But when the scriptures speak of the sea, it's turmoil. It's scary. These people were agrarian. They, they loved land. They, the biggest sea they saw was the Sea of Galilee, which is a big lake. And every time they saw the sea, that's something I want to stay away from. Often, it's interchanged in the scriptures with the abyss. In chapter 17, verse 15 of Revelation, it speaks of a multitude of nations, what they come from. In Daniel 7, four beasts come out of the sea. The beasts come out of the sea. Turmoil. The sea is dark and evil. Isaiah writes, in that day, the Lord with his, hand, his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. It speaks of the realm of satanic activity. What was the beast's description? with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Now, does this description sound familiar? I hope we're going like this. You probably don't, don't do this because if you, weren't, if you do this, you weren't listening last week. This is the same description as the dragon. It's... He had ten horns and seven heads. I suppose you might and should be asking the question, oh, what's this represent? It's not just a weird picture that some junior high kid would like to write or draw. Well, first governments, a horn, power. A horn always represented power in the scriptures and especially ruling power. Ten horns represent ten kings. We see that in the 12th verse of chapter 17 of Revelation. In Daniel 7, those of you who have your Bibles with you or your devices, turn over to Daniel chapter 7 for me, please. Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. And this is Daniel speaking of a vision that he saw. He said, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. So there were one, two, three beasts before this fourth. We're not going to talk about the first three. The fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and it broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now slip down to verse 24, the first, the first part of verse 24. As for the ten horns, this was the angel's description to Daniel. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise. So what this means is the beast represents an 
empire made from a conglomeration of kingdoms. It's an empire, but it's more than an empire. It's more than that. It, he, also has a representative, the leader, the ruler of these kingdoms. Now, if I was to ask, if I said this, Adolf Hitler, you would naturally turn, he was the leader of the Third Reich, the Nazis. I could say that and you would immediately go there. All right, that he led that. He led that particular group of people. They're interchangeable. The leader represents the kingdom. So will be the Antichrist and his regime. Still in the book of Daniel, still in the book there, look at page, at, up your page now again to verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. When it means a kingdom or a horn is ripped out, that means it's gone, it's destroyed, it's trampled on, and this little horn takes their place. Now back to verse 24 and following in Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down the three kings, or rip out the three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Remember that. He'll wear them out. And shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. I'm going to put this on a tee with a softball sitting on it. Time, times, and then half a time. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. If you have a bookmark, insert it here and read chapter 7 sometime later today. Back to Revelation chapter 13. And we'll continue with what John saw. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. The empire of the beast, it's going to combine all of the elements of the past, all of the elements that Daniel spoke of, all of the elements that John spoke of. It'll be the combined strength and brutality of historical Babylon of Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome to boot, all of them combined. It will be as bad as this. He'll have the power that each one of these had. And because of the dragon, who we know from chapter 12 is Satan, because he is the source of the Antichrist's power, no human force. I'll make sure that we understand that. No human force will be able to stand against it or him. 
the beast, the Antichrist. He starts out as a peacemaker. He rides in on a white horse carrying a bow without arrows, which means he's speaking. He, he holds these nations together or he conquers the nations without war yet. He must settle the Arab, Israeli, Palestinian, Iranian problem by making a covenant with Israel and with them. He makes a covenant with Israel for seven years. And in part of this agreement, a new temple must be built, a new temple where the Jews will worship. The rituals and the sacrifices are reinstated, and then in the middle of the seven years, he breaks the covenant. He stops the ceremonies, and he sets himself up as God in the temple. This is called the abomination of desolation spoken of by our Lord in Matthew 24, 15. All of these things, every one of them foretold. Every single one. Speaking of the dragon, before we go forward, I, I want to bring something to the forefront. And I've, I've spoken about this earlier. His goal was to be equal with God. That's, he was perfect in the beginning. He was the highest of the created creatures. But he wanted to be God. Iniquity was found in him. And he fell. He was thrown out of heaven. His goal was to be equal with God. He was cast down. He wants to be worshipped. That is his whole entire goal. He wants to be number one. But the serpent again, seems to be what is called a copycat. And you've heard this phrase, I'm sure. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. There is no way that he wants to flatter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But he will imitate him. And you can see what is being mimicked. See if you can see what is being mimicked as I read this very, very carefully concerning the first beast. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. A mortal wound means a wound that causes death. He seems to be killed. He seems to have his life taken from him. Who else received a mortal wound? Your Lord Jesus did. Your Lord Jesus laid down his life and he took it up again. With modern technology, with the aid of modern technology and the need of someone to have the need the need of the world to have a quote-unquote savior. When all hell is breaking loose around with God's judgment pouring down on the earth, they need someone who can fix it. They need someone they can follow. The people want to believe. And they're led to believe a lie. Paul, four decades earlier, wrote this, the coming of the lawless one, the beast, the antichrist, the man of sin, 
He has many, many names. Is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. He seems to be raised from the dead. And this false resurrection is the final weight that finally tips the scale. Boom! And they worshiped the dragon, for, they had, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? The human answer is nobody can. He can't even be killed. He, he rose from the dead. He can't even die. Who can fight against him? Who is like the beast? Who can fight against him? He's risen just like the two witnesses. He's risen just like that Palestinian fable, this man who actually was named was Jesus. He supposedly rose, but he left. This man we can see. And the beast was given a mouth uttering, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. Can you see the correlation with Daniel? He's an order like no other. He's charismatic. He says the right things. He's powerful. He's powerful. He can even rise from the dead. And the Anybody and everybody wants to follow him, and they'll do what he says, at least for a time. Blasphemous words mean to utter the ultimate in unbelief and disrespect. The ultimate. I'm God. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Three and a half years. A time times and half a time. As powerful as the beast is, it is allowed only to go so far. Well, how far? He goes on for 42 months. That's all he's allowed. But he is given that time. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Everything that represents God, God himself, God's abode, and even those who are now in heaven, the saints, are mocked, they're cursed. And the most blasphemous thing of all, the human, a human, claiming divine status. Now think with me. There was a human, there have been many humans that have claimed to be divine, but yet 
the Lord Jesus said many times in the book of John in different places, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And how did the Jews respond to that? They took up stones because they were going to stone him because he put himself as equal with God. But the main thing is, he is God. This one's an imposter. And the man in this kingdom shakes their collective fists at heaven. They shake their fist. For you, do you ever boast about your abilities? Like the beast boasts? I'm not saying that we we want to put ourselves against God, but Do we ever boast about our own abilities and not speak about how God has allowed us to do something or how God has gifted each and every one of you in a certain way? But do we want to raise ourselves up? Do you boast about your goodness? Have you ever put yourself in God's place? Do you ever blaspheme? Are you on God's team or the other's team? The beast won't only talk a good game or a bad game, so to speak, but he will be a man of action, brutal, evil action. But we must also remember he's allowed to do what he will do. God is sovereign. If you don't have a sovereign God, if you don't have a big God, as I said before, a big God, these passages worry you. But your God has this under control. It was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Conquer means to kill. Daniel said that he would, we would wear out the saints of the Most High. The beast's authority is allowed. It's delegated. It doesn't make sense in our minds, but throughout history, throughout history, God has seemingly allowed evil to, to triumph. I mentioned this a couple messages back, and we look at this and go, God, how can you allow this? How can you let this happen? Scripture tells us, and I'm going to read it. See if you can see if you understand where this passage is coming from. Speaking of Christians, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in the dens and in the caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, 
since God has provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made or they sh- they should not be made perfect there's always been a sort or a kind of a satanic beast there's always been one but as in the case of all these who are faithful who have gone before and who are with us now and who will die in the tribulation All will enter into God's presence, perfected and purified by the blood of the risen Lamb. The apostles, when they suffered persecution, they counted it great joy that they suffered like their Lord. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nations. And all who dwell on the earth, which is a code and revelation for those who are not Christ followers. All will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. The obvious expectations or exceptions, excuse me, are those who believe on the name of Jesus. There will be believers who come to Christ during this time. They will be on the earth. But they won't bow. They'll choose death or the threat of death over this life on earth. They're given the choice. Either you do or you don't. There's no gray area. There's no gray. There's not stepping in one side and stepping on the other. It is worship or pay the consequences. John finishes talking about the first beast with these words of solemn responsibility. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. We heard this saying seven times in chapters two and three. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. The only significance, the only difference being in the seven churches, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I believe that the church has been taken to heaven because of the promise in verse 10 in chapter 3. The promise, because you have kept my word about, about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I will keep you from the hour. I hold on to that. But these words are applicable to us, nevertheless. Verse 10. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Because of time constraints, just going to tell you 
what this means. If the Christian faith means imprisonment, a Christian must go without complaint and without murmuring, especially to the Lord. That's what the Lord has for you. This is not only for these folks, it's for us. If a Christian must give their life because of the gospel, because of the gospel, they should not fight force by using force. You cannot defend the good news of the love of God by using the violence of men. There are no good crusades. How can a follower of Christ prevail? Well, the verse tells us, steadfastly endure. Meaning not just passively enduring, just not just, ah, que sera, whatever it will be, will be. It's not that. What it means is courageously accepting the worst that life can throw at you and turn it into glory given to God. If you have cancer, if you have a problem where you're not getting better, you don't shake your fist at the Lord. You do go to a doctor. You ask them to help you. Hopefully you can be healed. You pray. You send You give your church body here the ability to be able to pray for you. We try to do all that we can. But in the bottom line, the bottom line is this. We give glory to God because he's allowed this. The sovereignty of God. He's allowed this. Steadfastly endure. Second, how do we we prevail? By faith. Fidelity, which will never waver in its devotion to its master. George Mueller Mueller said this. He said, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. The very food. No one grows when it grows well. We all like it when it goes well. We really do. But when you have you grown the most, when you faced persecution, when you have faced hardship, when you have faced things that go, God, I can't do anything else but depend on you. Satan's strategies are simply these. First, to neutralize or paralyze the church's witness from within. Please listen to this. To paralyze the church's witness from within. Second, poisonous persecution from without. It is not fun to face persecution. It is not. Third, smother its witness by giving it great popularity. Oh, do we expect to be popular? Oh, if, they, if the world loves us, there's something wrong. Yes, brothers and sisters, there's something wrong if the world loves you. Because if you live a godly life, you make people nervous because they see the king of kings. Fourth, 
Satan's strategy is to disturb the unity of the church with discord and division. If he can get us fighting each other, we're not sharing the gospel. Fifth, undermine the church through bad teaching. J.L. Sanders writes, his, meaning Satan's overall strategy, is to supersede and overthrow the kingdom of God. It is a strategy of destruction. If he was too clever for man in his perfection in Eden, he has a much greater advantage over man in his fallen state. That's why we need the strong arm of the Lord to hold us fast. The first beast has been introduced, introduced and now John tells us that he sees the beast rising from the earth. Now again, we've heard it two times already today. Satan is an imitator. And the next evil beast uses, that he uses is called elsewhere in the scriptures, especially in Revelation, the false prophet. They form an unholy trinity. Satan, the father. The Antichrist, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, the son, and this false prophet, the Holy Spirit, because why he points his whole job, his whole motive in life is to point the earth, the people of the earth, to the beast to worship him. That's his whole goal. He's the beast's disciple his number one follower, put it this way, his manager. His, it's his manager, it's his, his job to make him look good. Look at, back at verse 11. And then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. And some see this beast as an, an institution. They, many see it as, okay, it's, it's the Roman Catholic Church. People would say that. People will say, well, it, it's something else. It's it's. It, what, it's what comes up throughout the whole ages religiously. But if it's just an institution, institutions aren't thrown into the lake of fire for what they've done. That's the beast's ultimate destination. He'll be thrown in, and the prophet, he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. The word another Another of the same kind, or something of someone of the same kind. So like the first beast, this one will be the head and the representative of an institution, specifically a religious institution. If people love religion, people love it. We all got to worship somebody. Dylan even said it. You got to worship somebody. And this one comes out of the earth, which is much less mysterious and not as terrifying as the sea. He'll be much calmer. He'll be more amicable. Man, I didn't practice these words and I can't say them. Harleys, Harleys, Harleys. They'll be gone in a second. You don't know, I'm very distracted by Harleys. He'll be calmer, much more amicable than the Antichrist. 
Look at, the, look at verse 11 again. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It seems innocent. Who else is called a lamb? Who else is called a lamb? A little lamb. Oh, they're so cute. They're so adorable. Who could? A little lamb wouldn't hurt you. It seems innocent. It's not like a ten-horned, seven-headed dragon or a beast. But we know it has power because it has horns. And out of its mouth speaks its daddy's words. Like a dragon. It comes from Satan as well. And even though by his words are not used to blaspheme God per se, they'll be used to turn the eyes and the hearts of the fallen world towards the satanic dictator. Here's how he will do it. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. So the first beast gives him the power to do these things. You do it. Well, where did the first beast get his power? It got it from Satan. It all comes from Satan. He doesn't speak for himself. Again, his whole goal is to get the, the world to worship the Antichrist and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Do you see this again? This all this... This resurrection, this coming back from the dead that the first beast was able to, seemed like it would have been able to perform. Verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Again, fire. Who doesn't love fire? And by the signs that it was allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image of the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Worship it. Worship it. Understand that just because a person can do a sign it doesn't mean they're from God. Think back to Exodus. When Moses and Aaron walked in to Pharaoh's chamber and they performed the signs when Moses threw his staff on the ground or had his staff thrown on the ground, what happened? The Egyptian magicians accomplished the same thing. They were able to do the same thing. It doesn't mean that it's from God. And what he can do, what the beast can do is impressive. It's just like the two witnesses were able to do. But the most impressive and probably most likely false event will be, again, the first beast's resurrection, the healing of his mortal wound. Now, why do I say this false event? Because God is the only one that can give life. God is the only one who can breathe into a person and that person be able to live. Nevertheless, a population who will trust in anything extraordinary will be wanting to believe in a Savior who is risen and one who is still on the earth. Mankind's true savior, Jesus, predicted. He said, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many 
astray. And just as in Daniel 3, when Nebuchadnezzar erected an image, Nebuchadnezzar erected a 90-foot tall image, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were asked, go worship the beast. They weren't asked. They were told. But this one talks. Nebuchadnezzar, it just stood there. This one talks. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Again, there's no middle ground. There's no, I'm going to straddle the fence. How many of us live a life straddling the fence? It should not be so. You're either on one side or the other. You're either on God's side or the dragon's side. And that goes for now. God's side or the dragon's. The three Hebrew boys were forced to choose whether to bow down or pay the consequences. So will the world at that time. And it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. No one's exempt. No one. Red, yellow, black, white, Republican, Democrat, independent. Everyone is forced to make a choice. The mark, is it a tattoo, a barcode, a microchip? Whatever it is, it's a life or death decision on whether you will comply. No mark, no food. No bark, no business opportunities. One thing I can safely say, that it is not a COVID vaccine. That was not meant for a joke. It is not a COVID vaccine. It isn't even a mask. No one is being asked to bow down to a man who is claiming to be God. It's been really interesting to hear people's opinions concerning our present times, and I'm talking about throughout the last year. The lack of grace and love that believers are displaying to each other even in our congregation. Next week, we're going to be taking a break from Revelation and address this concern. Concerning the mark, uncountable barrels of ink have been used to try to explain the last verse of chapter 13. What is the mark? You know, if you try hard enough, you can make any name fit. 
You can make anything fit in this. Names like Nero, many different popes from the past all the way to the present, Benito Mussolini, Adolf Hitler, the Donald. But don't worry, I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to give you the answer that you've all been waiting for, who, who the world has been clamoring to hear. John wrote, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. The Antichrist number is simply this. It's a number of a man. I know I'm just, what, what do you do? It's the number of a man. Six is used in the Bible as the number of man. Six, you fall short of seven. Man was created in six days. Seven means perfection. That's God. Seven is perfection. Man's number comes up short when it's compared to God's number every single time. And what we do know is Antichrist will arise from the masses of sinful humanity. He will speak his daddy's words, but he does come from man. He'll possess all wickedness and rebellion towards God that his father, Satan, possesses. The number 666 speaks of the defiled nature of the beast. And this unholy trinity is represented by the number of sinful men. But you want the answer, don't you? Yes, you do. You know you do. You're going like this. The answer comes from the pen of Dr. Robert Thomas, a master seminary, a late master seminary professor whose commentary on the book of Revelation is superb, and he writes, listen, the better part of wisdom is to be content that the identification is not yet available but will be what will be when the future false Christ ascends to his throne. The person to whom 666 applies must have been future to John's time because John clearly meant the number to be recognizable to someone. If it was not discernible to his generation and those immediately following him, and it was not, the generation to whom it will be discernible must have a lane and still lies, must have lane in the future. Past generations have provided many illustrations of this future personage, but all past candidates have proven inadequate as fulfillments. Christians from generation to generation may manifest the same curiosity as the prophets of old regarding their own prophecies but their curiosity will remain unsatisfied until the time of fulfillment arrives. That's your answer. I have it quoted. I will give it to you after. And you can tell all your friends. He will come in the future. All who receive the mark have submitted to the evil system and order of Satan and rebellion to the true and living God. Satan will mark those who belong to him with his number through the Antichrist and his false prophet, much the same way that Christ marks you. The Holy Spirit seals you. If you're in him, you are marked. I can't see it, you can't see it, but God can.
You're his. To much of the world today, we're just a number. Think about it. My social security number means much more than my name. People don't care about my name, but they'd love to have my social security number. But I'm glad that to my blessed Lord, I'm not just a number among billions. He knows my name. And he knows your name. And he's recorded my name among the redeemed in his book of life. Is your name there? Is your name there? Make sure that it is by turning to God's son and living. Father, we... come to you maybe having more questions than what we started this morning. But what I do know, Lord God, is that when things are fearful, when things are good, when things are scary, when life is outstanding, you are there in all of it. Lord God, you have given these things so we can learn, so we can understand and share with others the good news that Jesus saves. Lord God, there is a time coming and you have ordained it that these men will have power. Lord God, may we live lives that keep us from this time. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.